This is Monica, and on this episode of Remembering the Misremembered, we will remember the young man who was called the Prince of the Blues. A five foot four inch dynamo who charted 17 hits, was one of the most influential vocalists of his era, recorded the original Fever, and paved the way for many artists like James Brown, Stevie Wonder, the Four Tops Levi Stubbs, who also happened to be a close personal friend of his, Jeffrey Osborne, and many, many more. I would even say that he helped to usher in the Motown era because he was a Detroit musician. But we remember Little Willie John, who set the music world on fire, broke down barriers before getting entangled in a shocking murder which led to his eventual early demise. So Little Willie John was born November 15, 1937 in Cullendale, Arkansas. His name was William Edward John, although he is erroneously sometimes referred to as William Edgar John. He was named after both of his grandfathers. He was the fifth of nine kids born to Murdish John and Lily Robinson John. When Willie was about four, the family moved to Detroit, Michigan, so that Murdish John could take advantage of the great job opportunities there. All of the Johns were musical. Both of the parents sang and played guitar. The Johns were also involved in church, particularly Mrs. John, who sang gospel tunes around the house and taught her kids to sing. According to Willie's brother EJ, she didn't need to teach Willie, who was a natural prodigy. Willie's voice was flexible, mature, and naturally soulful. And I'm sure he inspired young Frankie Lyman with his elegant phrasing. But these vocal qualities allowed Willie to easily sing anything. The John kids started a gospel group when Willie was six called the United Five. The group consisted of Willie and his four older siblings, and this included his eldest sibling, Mabel John, a singer who would go on to record for Stax Records and also was a Ray Lett in Ray Charles's group. The United Five sang at various churches on Detroit's east side. They sang on programs with some of the top gospel acts of the time like the Soul Stirs when Sam Cooke was featured and the Mighty Clouds of Joy. The Johns would be the youngest kids on the scene then, except for the self-taught Sugar Child Robinson, a piano prodigy who was a year younger than Willie. At an early age, Willie was mischievous and a hustler, and his strong personality sometimes put him at odds with his father who was a disciplinarian. Willie had known Levi Stubbs, the future Four Tops frontman, since they were kids, and they got into things together. To make money, Willie would shine shoes, he had a paper route, and he'd hang around the Negro League's ballpark waiting for home run balls to come flying over the wall with the intention of selling them back to the team for a dollar. At about 12, Willie started stepping out. He would sneak out of the house and take a bus across town to Hastings Street. He pretended to be blind to ride for free. Hastings Street was the entertainment hub in Detroit. There was live entertainment, sometimes featuring the hottest singers and musicians of the time. Prostitutes, hustlers, a record shop with recording equipment in back, and much more. 
Willie loved excitement, so this was right up his alley. He added to his street smarts right here, and he also started competing in talent shows. He appeared at a venue with Jackie Wilson and even the more established Sam Cooke and Clyde McFadden. Willie still managed to stand out from these great singers. His voice was mature and didn't quite match his pint size and baby face. Willie was initially spotted by musical jack-of-all-trades Johnny Otis, who was nicknamed the godfather of rhythm and blues. Johnny saw Willie at the Paradise Theater and tried to get him signed, but was turned down due to Willie being so young. And I guess some people didn't want to deal with a kitty act. Harry Balk is another person credited with discovering Willie, also seeing him at a talent show. Willie was offered the chance to tour with Count Basie and Lionel Hampton, an offer which his parents turned down. They did allow Willie to sign a management contract with Harry Balk, a man who had no real experience as a manager. Willie recorded his first song, Mommy, What Happened to Our Christmas Tree. It was recorded in November of 1953 when Willie was 16 at Detroit's United Sound Studio. He was accompanied by a studio band and professional background vocalists. The song was issued on the prize label and billed as Willie John and Three Lads and a Lass. Willie's voice was changing so he sounds half soprano, half high tenor, but he already possessed the impeccable phrasing that would be his trademark. The song did well locally and got the attention of the press. Willie even rated a mention in the show business column of journalist Dorothy Kilgallen. This was a very, very big deal. The next thing Willie knew, he was in New York, making television appearances and appearing at the famed Apollo Theater with established legends like Duke Ellington, Ruth Brown, Nat King Cole, and the Drifters. It was at this time that his management team started billing him as Little Willie John. Yes, Willie now had a management team. Harry, Frank Glussman, Dave Usher, and Ed Biernan. Ed often drove Willie to gigs. On his first trip to New York City, Willie was eager to partake of the nightlife. But his management tried everything to get Willie to calm down. Just, you know, stay in the hotel, sit down, calm down. And, uh, you know, he went in his room, and uh, his management got immersed in a telethon. While they watched the telethon, they were shocked to see Willie on TV, on stage singing with Count Basie. They couldn't believe it. Willie had snuck out of the hotel and asked around for directions to where the telethon was taking place. And he wound up on stage performing with a music legend, the music legend who had wanted to take Willie on the road. Willie enjoyed sweets, fun, and games, but he also was sensitive with a hair-trigger temper, probably due in large part to his diminutive size. He had a Napoleon complex. Over the years, he would take to carry a gun, which many singers did at the time. Life on the road could be dangerous, and dealing with concert promoters could be frustrating as well. But at this time, Willie's management faced challenges marketing him. What do you do with a boy who's 16, looks 10, and sounds 30? Willie left school in 1954 to tour with Paul the Hucklebuck Williams. 
Willie had been an A and B student, but he had figured out early in life that singing would be his life's work. After just a few months, though, Williams dropped Willie, who spent too much time attending gambling parties with rough people. You know, Willie loved the nightlife. Willie befriended boxer Sugar Ray Robinson and would stay with him sometimes when he was in New York. Henry Glover signed Willie to King Records. They sent him into the studio immediately. His first recording was All Around the World, a bluesy tune that went to number five on the R&B chart, or the black chart. The second single was Need Your Love So Bad, a song that was co-written by Willie's brother, Murtis John Jr. Now on the record, it credits Willie with writing the song, so perhaps Willie and Murtis wrote the song together. But uh, it too hit the R&B top five. Willie toured all over Michigan and also visited the South and the West Coast. Willie might have been racking up hits, but he wasn't seeing much money. Willie was being paid in Cadillacs instead of cash. He had to continue touring since this was how singers made money, and he shared bills with people like B.B. King and Joe Tex. Willie's performance style was said to be very similar to that of Joe Tex and he influenced James Brown, who would in the future open for Willie. Willie John would be the only singer that James Brown would admit could out-sing him. And, you know, they say Willie would sing holding his head back. It must have been interesting. Anyway, before long, Willie, who was still just 18, recorded the song that would become his signature, The Slinky Finger Snapping Fever which he supposedly didn't even like at first. Now, there are a lot of questions about this song, like where it was recorded. Few can agree on whether it was cut in Cincinnati or New York, and even who wrote it is up for debate. Otis Blackwell is believed to have written part of the tune under the pseudonym John Davenport because he was under contract to another company at the time. Blackwell claimed that Eddie Cooley gave him a rough, unfinished version of the song and that he, Blackwell, completed it. There are also claims, allegedly by Blackwell, that he wrote Fever with Little Willie John. Joe Tex even claimed that he co-wrote Fever with Ed Cooley. Joe said he told Ed to arrange it in the vein of Tennessee Ernie Ford's 16 Tons, a big hit at the time Fever was recorded. When Fever was released in April of 1956, reactions were immediate. The tune topped the R&B chart for five weeks. It was the first crossover hit for Little Willie John, charting at number 24 on the Hot 100. Fever also became the sixth most played jukebox song of 1956. The song is jazzy, bluesy, swinging, and soulful, and it's without question one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Peggy Lee is the one who uh, did the most popular cover version of it, and I guess her version is the most popular, period. But many people have uh, recorded Fever over the, over the years, including Elvis, Madonna. Um, King Curtis did an instrumental of it, and Beyonce sang it in a movie. I don't think her version was uh, released as a single, but she did do a version of it. It's a very popular song. But Willie's version is my favorite, and it is the original. After this, Willie was on a roll, landing many more hits 
including Home at Last, which is the B-side of Need Your Love So Bad, Do Something For Me, The Memorable Talk To Me, Talk To Me, Your Sweetheart, Tell It Like It Is, The Rockin' Clever, Leave My Kitten Alone, which was uh, recorded by the Beatles. They did a, a cover tune on that, or a cover version. And Let Them Talk. Willie's peak years were between 1955 and 1959. On May 25, 1957, Willie, who was only 19, married a beautiful Apollo dancer named Darlin Bonner. I believe she was pregnant at the time. That's probably why they got married. But anyway, they had two sons together, William Kevin and Daryl Keith. But Willie was rarely home, so he didn't achieve the grounding that he so badly needed. By the early 60s, Willie's fortunes began to shift. He was arrested for marijuana possession in Florida, where he now lived. His bad temper often showed itself, and he developed a problem with alcohol which aggravated his epilepsy, which, you know, he had suffered from epilepsy as, uh, all his life. He developed diabetes, too, and racked up arrests for swindling, grand larceny, and assault, and he was dropped from his record label. In 1964, he jumped bail in an assault case to tour the West Coast. Over the weekend of October 16th and 17th, Willie performed in Seattle, after a show, he went to a club where he performed a few songs. Willie, his valet, and two women then went to a house party in a black neighborhood. Apparently, the house doubled as an illegal after-hours drinking and gambling establishment. And there were only about six people there. The lady that Willie was with left her seat to go to the ladies' room. A man named Kendall Roundtree who was basically the town bully or the neighborhood bully, took the lady's seat. When she returned, Willie asked Roundtree to give the seat back to the lady. Roundtree, who was about 6'3 and weighed about 200 pounds, punched Willie in the mouth, knocking him into the kitchen. Three men grabbed Roundtree as he tried to lunge at Willie. Willie grabbed a nearby knife and stabbed Roundtree in the chest with it. Willie had nicked Roundtree in the aorta, causing him to bleed to death. About an hour was spent with people arguing about what to do with Roundtree's body and what to tell the authorities. Willie's valet admitted that Willie had stabbed Roundtree. Little Willie John was charged with second-degree murder. The murder trial of Little Willie John started on January 12, 1965, lasting for three days. He was convicted of manslaughter for the stabbing death of Kendall Roundtree by an all-white jury. They say the jury was probably turned off by Willie's cocky, slick attitude. Willie denied stabbing Roundtree. It's possible that Willie really didn't remember stabbing Roundtree because he suffered an epileptic seizure shortly after the event. It's possible that Willie was framed somehow. His lawyer apparently didn't even mention that Willie stabbed Roundtree in self-defense. Willie posted bond for $20,000 and left Seattle. With all of this going on, Willie managed to record an album which didn't see the light of day until 2008, even though it was recorded in 1966. It was even entitled 1966. Willie was supposed to attend a benefit concert to help with his defense, 
He hadn't been able to work much because of his legal woes, and there were contract disputes between his old label, King, and his new label, Capital. On July 6, 1966, two months after being tracked down by U.S. Marshals and returned to Seattle, Willie John was sentenced to 8 to 20 years, with a minimum sentence of 7 1⁄2 years. He was transferred to Walla Walla State Prison. It was very unjust for a manslaughter conviction. Even the prosecutor thought so. Some of Willie's show business friends rallied behind him. James Brown visited Willie and worked to get him free, but Willie was in poor health when James Brown visited him and he was in a wheelchair. He expressed serious doubts about getting out and seemed resigned to his fate. Willie performed for inmates. He also got into fights with inmates and guards. On May 26, 1968, William Edward John, known to the world as Little Willie John, died at the Washington State Penitentiary Hospital. He was remembered as a rock and blues pioneer. Willie was just 30 years old. The prison superintendent claimed that Willie was found dead with a mild case of pneumonia. His death certificate lists the cause of death as a heart attack. Willie did have health problems, such as alcoholism, diabetes, and epilepsy. But there's also a strong case for foul play. There are rumors that Willie died after an operation to remove pressure on his brain after a beating. Some say he was simply neglected and allowed to deteriorate. Whatever the case, it brought about a sad premature end to a talented young man who still had a lot more to give. Little Willie John was far from perfect. He didn't always do the right thing. Neither did Sam Cooke. But we remember him fondly for the pioneer that he was. And he deserves to be remembered, but so too does Little Willie John. He too is one of the founders of soul music. If anybody has any footage of Little Willie John who made three appearances on American Bandstand, could you upload it to YouTube, please? The only footage of him that I've ever seen is a tiny clip from an old show called Route 66, where he's um, hitting some instrument. It's the only footage that I and many people have ever seen. Anyway, on June 10, 1968, the funeral of Little Willie John was held at Detroit's New Bethel Baptist Church in Detroit. There were about 3,000 mourners at the church that day. Reverend C.L. Franklin, Aretha's father, and the pastor of the church officiated. Pallbearers included fellow soul men, Sam and Dave, Johnny Taylor, and Joe Tex. Mourners included Barry Gordy, Diana Ross, and other members of Detroit Music Royalty. Willie was buried in Detroit Memorial Park East in Warren, Macomb County. James Brown recorded a tribute album to the man that he once opened for called Thinking About Little Willie John and a Few Nice Things. Little Willie John was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. Stevie Wonder is the one who inducted him. But um, a little side note here. Little Willie John once aspired to become an opera singer in the tradition of Paul Robeson or Enrico Caruso, 
but classical singing lessons are expensive, so he dropped the idea. There's a book called Fever, Little Willie John, A Fast Life, Mysterious Death, and the Birth of Soul by Susan Whittall with Kevin John, who is, uh, of course, the son of Little Willie John. And to those of you who have never heard Little Willie John's songs and love old soul music, I hope you check out the songs that I've mentioned in this episode. The voice of Little Willie John will bless you. I'm Monica, and this has been the seventh episode of Remembering the Misremembered.